Hey, what's up, guys? This is Anthony Anthem, a.k.a. Black Fabio, a.k.a. The Mendai Marauder, a.k.a. The Louisville Slugger, a.k.a. I'm just kidding. We got a special guest today. May I have you say your name, kind sir? Uh, my name is Coach Ray Baxter. Coach Ray Baxter. How are you doing today, Mr. Baxter? Well, I'm doing well, sir. I'm doing well. And I thank you for the opportunity to speak to you and your audience. Well, thank you for being a part of this podcast. It's always great to have a special guest on. So why do they call you Coach Ray? Well, uh, I started as a youth football coach a long, long time ago. Sometimes it feels like a gap too far away. But, um, you know, I, I started as a youth just ball coach and, and working with young kids, but I got into it and, and enjoyed it. And eventually I started doing high school ball and then college ball. Um, I actually have a number of young men that have actually either played in the NFL or have worked in the NFL in some capacity. And wow. eventually what it, what it came down to as well is, because I also like to give or have been giving business advice. I've been pretty good at that. I've also been pretty good at managing people. Um, so even in, in the professional realm, I was known as a coach. And what I've done is actually I've uh, created five um, signature programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I go around the country and I speak on custom service and how entrepreneurs should engage customers, collaborate with customers to, to uh, enhance their bottom line. Wow. So sounds like you have put in a lot of work, sincerely. Yeah, a little bit of work. But, you know, you, you can't get anywhere unless you put in work. You know what I mean? You have to grind. You have to grind to get somewhere. You know, and, and I'm not a young guy. Uh, you know, I, one, of the, one of my heroes is Morgan Freeman because Morgan Freeman didn't make it until his late 50s. And look at him now. So, hey, listen, you know, it doesn't matter the age that you are. I mean, I'm not 60 or 70 years old, but you know, it doesn't matter the age that you are. You, you continue to grind. You continue to work. You do good things. You know, you, you, you put your faith and trust in, in, in God, and things work out for you. Very true. Very, very true. So um, you say you uh, coach college ball. Um, um, what, uh, what school were you coaching for? Well, I was coaching at a junior college, uh, Monroe College, here in uh, New Rochelle, New York. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was um, I worked on both sides of the ball, actually. I I coached running backs, I coached receivers, and I coached defensive linemen. Oh. Yeah, I I uh, and I have a you know I have what, maybe two guys, two it's been about three guys, three or four guys that have either touched the NFL or are now playing in the NFL um, oh. that I coach. And I have a young man that actually played for me. I also coached a team called the Bronx Rebels, which was a youth program that ran for about 25-plus years. Uh, we were doing really well in the Bronx and in the city. And wow. we used to send kids to college. Uh, we had people and scouts come to games, and sometimes our games would be uh, a lot more interesting and packed than the regular high school games of the, of the field we were playing and practicing on. We would get an average of maybe three to 400 people at our games on a Saturday night. So wow. if you can imagine on a Saturday night in the Bronx in the late October, you can come past Gun Hill Road in the in the um, late 90s and, and early 2000s, and you can get a, a great barbecue meal and 
some good football. And that's what we were doing for, for quite a while. And I was doing that before I went, went to Monroe. But we actually had some kids graduate, go to school for free as a result of, you know, them playing for us and having good grades. We wow. reached out to a lot of, lot of schools. We actually also started a collegiate program, which we call, it was the Bronx Rebels with a youth program that we called the, the collegiate program, the Northeast Elite Rebels. And the Northeast Elite was a program that uh, played in the Yankee Collegiate Conference for a period of time. We actually played schools that had college club ball. Wow. And we used the elite to, as a carrot, to get guys to go to school. And that's exactly what we did. The first year, we had maybe half the team that was enrolled in college. They allowed us to do that the first year. The second year we played, we had the entire team enrolled in college. Um, wow. You know, these were 45, 50 kids that would not have gone to school before, you know, if it wasn't for the opportunity that they had to play ball. And we, we actually had a school like the University of Maine. Their club team came to the Bronx on a Saturday night Ooh. And played on a high school field. It was an amazing thing to see the first time that happened. And and we had a lot of doubts. A lot of people think, oh, no, we're not going to make it. We didn't win the game. Matter of fact, we had a touchdown call back because we were blocking the back. Uh, but we played. We played. We played hard. And we made a name for ourselves. That first year we played, we actually made the playoffs, made the national playoffs. But uh, we lost eventually to the, to the eventual champions, which was the team for Connecticut, the Connecticut uh, Grizzlies. They were really good. Um, that's, hmm. that's what we were doing. So you just have a knack when it comes to sports. I think you're a huge sport fan, a sportsman on the side. You know, I, I follow football because I play a little bit and I, and I was a coach. And to me, that's the best game on the planet because of, of the potential it can, it makes a man out of you. Uh, you learn so much in leadership and teamwork. You learn so much about yourself. Uh, it's not a game where you can hide. Although there are 11 people going against 11 people, you have your individual battles. So you learn a lot about yourself. And you can either retreat or you put yourself out there, win or lose, to to attempt to win. And I I wouldn't say I'm a big sports fan. I I follow a little baseball, a little basketball. But for me, I can watch the football channel 30 hours a day. wouldn't matter. That's awesome. So, I mean, who's your favorite team? I got to know. Oh, I'm a Giants fan. Oh, okay. So, true, true New Yorker fashion, Giants fan. Okay, I see. I'm a Chiefs fan myself. Yeah, I, I also like the Jets, though. I, I'm not going to shirk on the Jets. I like the Jets, too. They say in New York you can't like both teams, like you can't like the Yankees and the Mets. But I don't believe that because I'm a Mets fan. <laughs> um, I don't live too far from Yankee Stadium, but I'm a Mets fan. So, what can I tell you about that? Well, um, I'm glad that you went with um, the latter and went with the Mets. Um, I'm from Kansas City, so Chiefs and uh, Royals are my teams. <laughs> I, you, you got Pat Mahomes, man. They could be in the Super Bowl in the next couple of years. That's a great squad. As long as we keep our guys intact, it's possible. That's true. It's very, very possible because Patrick Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. So I think he's the best. I think he's the best. Because not only does he athletically see the field a lot better than most of the other guys that are playing the position, but his leadership, if you look at him, between him and the kid from um from the Bears, uh, I forget his name at the moment. Um, who are you talking about? Um we'll see. I know 
people understand that you can have all the rings you want, but you're a jerk off the field. Now, what's that say about your legacy? Well, here's the, the other side of the example. Look at a guy like um, Hollywood Henderson. Mm. Now, Hollywood Henderson had a couple of rings, but Hollywood Henderson, if, if you ever look at his story, he'll tell you himself he acted like a jerk. Mm. And that's what he's remembered in it. Yeah, so people said on ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> but then you see a guy like Walter Payton. Walter Payton was a class act all the way. Now, he did his dirt, and unfortunately, guys guys will be guys. You do your dirt. You mm. do But he was a class act all the way. And that's why the NFL has named its highest honor in his name. And that is why... It takes respect to get respect. That's it. That's, that's it. That's true statement because, you know, it's, my problem is with sports sometimes is I feel like sometimes it just shies away from the actual game itself. I don't want to hear about, like, who they're hanging out with. I want to know they're dating the Kardashian. I don't want to know, like, what commercial he's in. I want to know what's he bringing to the field, what's he bringing to the court. What do you bring into the diamond? <laughs> like, well, that's just it. Though. Everything off the field shines, so people look at that and then expect performance on the field. It doesn't work both ways. If you have, if you're shining off the field and you have all these the glit and the glamour and the pictures, you're not going to do well on the field because you're not concentrated. Again, you know what I used to tell my guys? It's not when the lights are on that you got to work. It's when the lights are off, when no one is around. The blood, the sweat, the grind, that's when you have to get that in. Because when the lights are on, no one wants to know about your practice. Nope. When the lights are on, no one wants to know that you missed. When the lights are on, you've got to shine, and you only get one opportunity to do it. See. When the lights are off, you've got, you've got to bleed. You've got to put it in. You've got to put the work in. And, that, and you know what? Better coaches do that. Because you can also tell about preparation even down to the peewee level, believe it or not, I could always tell a team that's well-prepared over a team that is coasting and they're just relying on talent. And nine times out of ten, the less talented team will win if they prepare more than the talented team. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at some of the examples. I mean, look at this year's Super Bowl. People came in with high expectations that um, Atlanta was going to take it, and here comes Tom Brady doing what he does. Regardless, you hate him or love him, that man knows how to play the game. That man is always focused and concentrated. You don't really hear no drama about him. You hear no, about no. you hear about Tom Brady just did 2,000 yards like out of nowhere, or he's shotgunning passes left and right and getting across the field like it's nothing, like. That's why he'll have a legacy after he leaves the game. So, but, but think about this: the Patriots had a chance to get Odell Beckham. They did. They had a chance to get him. And they, they said won. no. They said no. See that that tells you right there his reputation. Exactly. That's, exactly. And that's a whether you like the Patriots or not. If I were a football player, I would want to be part of that camp. Just because oh, – Exactly. If I were a football player, that's the best camp to be in. 
I mean, seriously, they what, got like. Whether you play or not, it's the best camp to be in because you're going to learn something. And, and that's something else. Mm-hmm. You know, when you work at something, <laughs> excuse me, if you don't take an example from what you do every day and learn a lesson, it's a waste of death. Fact. You know, one thing, I, I, I work for a nonprofit. I'm, a, I'm an educator for a nonprofit. And I work with guys that are justice involved. They're between 18 and 25. They're just coming home from prison. And we're trying to get them work and trying to get them stabilized. So one of the things I tell them in this class, you know, it's not about, you know, the, 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 the addition or subtraction. It's about life choices and change. If you're not willing to put in the work for that, nothing's going to work for you. You have to have a lesson learned every day. When you go to sleep at night, the last thing you should be thinking about is either the lesson that you've learned that past day or what you expect to learn the next day. And as long as you continue to do that, you'll be fine. That is true facts. Because you never stop learning in the story. You could be yeah. 100 years old and you're still going to learn something. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if, like with the Patriots, like with them, they almost got football down to a formula. They got a formula for how their guys diet to like what's going to work for them to improve on their skill set. That's why mm-hmm. they're multiple Super Bowl champions, regardless of if you're a Patriot hater or not. I say that I'm saying this from like a non like fan perspective that. Well, you know something, it's interesting that you say that, because when I first started in football a long time ago, I think my team, the first 20 games that we played, I think my team won only two games of that first 20 in the two year, two or three seasons. And it wasn't because, and we had talent, but I didn't know how to practice this team. I didn't know the nuances of it. And there was a coach here in the Bronx. I'm not going to say his name, but he, he, there's an offense that he taught me called the wing T offense. And he also showed me the nuances of practice and what you need to do to teach your team. That's when I became a coach. See, a lot of guys, get, they, they have the name coach attached to them. But if you don't know how to exert an effort to learn, to teach, you're not a coach. You're just someone giving giving instructions. It wasn't until I learned what they call the Patriot way is really that the way you practice and the way you, you, you anticipate things every day, that's when you get better. That's why there's a Patriot way. And there could be 31 other NFL teams that will try to emulate that, but they won't be able to. One no. or two will get through. The Giants. The Giants got through. Because the Giants were determined. So they got through. I'm proud to say that, by the way, Giants fans. Oh, I'm not going to lie. I was happy when they won. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, you, you have to do that. If, if you don't, it's a wasted effort. And unfortunately, you know, I'm just going to take it back to youth football for a second. There are a lot of guys out there that parents, and, and I hope maybe a parent or two will listen to this and understand, they take their kids to a guy that's in a park and everyone calls the guy coach, and they laud and applaud him because he's taking time with their children. But they have no idea about that guy as an, as an individual. They have no idea about that guy as a coach. 
And then you wonder why Johnny's not doing well in school or, or he wants to play football and his grades are horrible or he's learning bad habits or, or well, he wants to play. So the only, the only leverage you have over him is the fact that, yeah, he wants to play football. But it's not just about football. It's about life. Mm-hmm. And the better coaches out there teach their kids that. And a lot of them, most of these guys don't. They don't do it. They just see them as a number. And that's a problem. Not even that. It's, not, it's more than a number. Do you know how much it costs to play youth football today? How much? It'll cost a parent anywhere between three to $400. Yikes. To put their kid in a youth football program today. So it's even more expensive yeah. than my day. Yeah, exactly. And and you know what? A lot of these guys, they're probably pocketing money. You know they are. So that's why there too, because I, you know, back in the day, I knew a couple that were doing it. I would I, listen. You point them out, but it's nothing you can do. It's not your team. But mm-hmm. you know, it, it's youth football is a business, from the recruiting to the uniforms to the stadiums to the janitors that <laughs> clean up. It's a business, man. True statement. True statement indeed. And I wish a lot of people would point that out. Like, there's always something going on behind the scenes, especially when it comes to. It's a shame, but it's always, man. It's, it's, it's a shame. Because, you know, people are exploiting kids. And it's not right. Facts. They recently was um, in the NFL, they recently they banned a drill called the Oklahoma drill. It's the type of drill where you're going head to head, you're basically hitting helmet to helmet. Offense versus defense. Now, if you take the drill and break it down and you slow it down, it really teaches the nuances of the game because it, it teaches you position and how you should tackle and how you should break yourself on the field. When right. you're going fast action, you can't stop the drill because it's, it's in game mode and you know, someone could get hurt. They've banned that in high schools and lower levels for years, but there's coaches that continue to run that drill simply because, well, it makes it makes Johnny a man. But what people don't realize is when Johnny is 30 and he forgets things, no one thinks about when he was 13 and he went head-to-head on the field no. and no one said anything about it. He may have had a headache. He may have been spazz- spazzed out for a moment, but no one thinks about that. No, they don't. Yeah. And I know we didn't come on here to talk about youth football, but I, I, I just mentioned this. For I mean, no, but that's important, though, because, like, CTE is a real thing. CTE is real. CTE is dangerous. They haven't gotten – see, they, they've only talked about it on the pro level. It hasn't gotten to the high school level yet. Because, obviously, you can't determine CTE if someone's still alive, so you won't know. But let's face it, if a, if a youth is playing ball from seven with all the collisions that he's had until he's 19 and then he continues to play in college and then maybe he plays in, uh, in the pros or if he doesn't play in the pros, maybe he plays semi-pro ball, he plays adult ball. So mm-hmm. by the time he's finished, think about how many collisions that could be. That could possibly be. That's thousands of collisions. Wow. 
So now think about when he's on a professional level and trying to get a job and he can't get a job or he can't form a, a sentence, not because he's not intelligent, it's simply because he's had brain trauma that no one, nobody even knows about. That's scary, man. Yeah. That's seriously scary. And that's something people need to be aware of. It doesn't matter what sport you're doing. Like, if you're a football player, baseball player, basketball player, or, heck, even a pro wrestler, there are problems in these industries that are overlooked. And it's just like instead of getting them the help they need or even just checking to make sure they're still healthy, it's, it's okay, well, this one's dead. This one's a dead. Okay, moving on. Oh, new yeah, board. that's true. Listen, half these parents don't even know. Here's another secret I'm going to blow up. Half these parents don't even know whether their programs have insurance on their kids. They don't bother to check for that. I know one thing we used to do is I wasn't the only head coach in the program that I ran, but every head coach had a book, and the book had insurance information, emergency contact information, everything. But I'm, I know for a fact, if you went to a youth football game and you asked that coach, well, they anyone know CPR? they anyone trained? They're, they're going to look around for answers. Oh, maybe there's a, someone's parent is a, is a nurse, possibly. Or someone's parent is a cop, maybe. Other than that, no. Do they have any certifications? No. Training? No. What about the officials? Are the officials trained? No. But here's something else. I'm going to blow something else up. Do you know that during a football game, excuse me, particularly a youth game, it's the referees that have the responsibility for the kids' safety on the field, not the coaches? So if something happens out there, it's the referees that are in charge, not the coaches. Wow. I did not but know the that. the back away. They back away. They want nothing to do with it. They, they just want to get on the field, get paid, and, and, and go home. Wow. So there's a lot, a lot to youth sports, man, that unfortunately you know, people won't talk about. But it should be talked about because you're dealing with young kids. That's very important. And – I'm glad you're bringing this to light, sincerely, like, because children are our future, okay? I always say that. I always mean that with the most other most emphasis. Mm -hmm. And we don't protect our children. We're not protecting our future. End of story. And Yeah, that's true. that's, That's end of story. Like, so I didn't know this about youth football. So to hear that, and plus, I want to say I commend you for the fact that you invested a lot of time into our youth. They need more guys like you as an example of positivity. Because, yes, the figures in their life also can affect how they're going to be later down the line. Yeah, that's true. So – you're a positive male figure. You're also a man of color, too. So it's just like you're showing positivity in a lot of different formats that people don't realize. And the fact that you're speaking the uttermost importance of safety in the game of football, because some of these coaches don't care whatsoever. You know, it's not just coaches. I'll tell you a quick story in, in the group, 
the group that we had had several different levels. I happened to coach the older level, but I used to coach the younger level also. And I had someone else come and take over that part of the program. Well, when most of the kids, they had won a championship on the peewee level, and they were going to move up to the next level. My concern was for their helmets, because a peewee helmet is different from an intermediate helmet. The speed of the game is different. Everything is different about it. So when I began to bring that up to parents, the first thing the parents were saying to me was, oh, you just want to get paid, or you must be going to get something on the back end. I said, oh, no, it's not like that. It, listen, if you don't want your kid to be safe, that's on you. But he's not going to play here. I'll, I'll risk losing your son's participation in the program because you don't want to address the helmet situation. And we always had the helmets recertified. I make sure those helmets are recertified every every season. We recertified and painted in the colors. We did a special color with a wing and a helmet. I made it real nice for the kids. But – Listen, there had to be certain standards that parents looked up to. The parents couldn't do that. You couldn't play for it. Mm. And, and that's just what it was. But the parents think, and there are guys out there that are doing the right thing. I'm not going to say that most of them are. Most, there are guys that are doing the right thing. But a lot of parents feel because, well, it's an expensive sport, and you're asking for more money. It's not that you're taking that money and putting it in your pocket. The expenses that you have to meet is you're going to buy new helmets for kids, if you're going to provide equipment. The equipment costs money. And no, you, you're not going to get that sponsorship from the from the councilman down the street or the store down the street. Because nine times out of ten, either they don't care or they just don't have the money to give you, particularly on a consistent basis. And then if you don't patronize that store, why are they, why are they sponsoring you in the first place? Truth. That's, uh, well, I mean... We need. So I remember plenty of arguments I used to have out on the field with parents. Just listen, this is about your son. This is about his safety. And when they finally purchased the helmets, they realized the difference between a PV helmet at the time and a high school type of helmet. Wow, okay, now I understand. It's a little heavier weight, it's more cushion in the helmet, it's more, it's more impact driven. So, you know, he won't get hurt. Now you understand what we were talking about. Exactly. See, like, that's what I'm talking about. I can tell you really care about what you do. Um, coach, that's um, that's awesome. And I'm glad that you're educating these parents so they don't have to see their kids suffering later in life. That, you know, the whole thing, honestly, is, and again, I know we didn't we venture into this youth sports, but parents just have to be more inquisitive when they put their, now it's the summertime, so you're going to put your kids in baseball, you're going to put your kids in softball, you're going to take your kids to the park, but be more inquisitive about who's watching your kids and who's coaching your kids, because if you're not, unfortunately, you're going to lose your kids, and that's just fact. True. Parents got to be involved, man. It's, it, yeah. does, it does take a village to raise a kid, but at the same time, that means the parents got to be there within the village as well. Exactly. Don't don't put, drop your kid off on the field and then go to the beauty parlor and get your head did and come back three hours later expecting Johnny to be Johnny. Because Johnny might, be, might wind up to be Jane. Exactly. Sorry, but, yeah. That's what I'm saying. You need to be there. Like, you can't be absent-minded especially when it's somebody that you're watering to become an adult 
Because remember, kids mm-hmm. are seeds that need water, that need those nutrients in life. So That's need, true. Yeah, so they need the knowledge. They need they need compassion. They need love. They need care. They need all that to grow into a good individual in society and life. And to stay away from these gangs. The Man. gangs are out there. I, unfortunately, yes. And the gangs are out there, man. They, in, believe it or not, there was a team years ago that we played. Um, again, I'm not going to name names, but they they had to actually have the Bloods on one end and the Crips on the other end just so the team can practice. Wow. Crazy. Crazy. They're like, gang wars should never be on the field. Ever. They shouldn't. They're supposed, to be bro- they're supposed to be brothers on the field together. They should be able to like, hey, I'll take this hit for you, or hey, I'm going to protect you, whatever. Like, it should never be, oh, no, man, he's from that neighborhood. You know, like. Yeah, but you know, the, the dynamic of that team was they were all from the same general area, okay, same town. So when they wound up playing together, they played well. They protected each other. But when they took off their mutual colors, then they went their separate ways, you know, the blue and the red. But they, you know, a lot of them took to heart, because I followed a few of them, a lot of them took to heart and, and left the gang life, and, and they're doing well for themselves now simply because they realize, you know, I don't have to be part of that. That's awesome. You know, we, we've had, man, honestly, I've had guns in my face. So we're going to, you know, we're going to do this, or we're going to do that. I said, no, you're not. You're not coming in. Here. You're not coming in here. You're not coming to get this kid. You're not coming in here. And so you, you're going to use the gun. You got to use it now. And it wasn't that I thought I was big or bad. It's, it's, the fact of the matter is, I'm not going to let someone come out there and, and destroy something that we started. You're trying to build. So eventually, we, we got a little bit of respect out there. We did. We got a little bit of respect, but. And what helped too is that after the cops realized that we were having problems, they started coming by a lot and, and talking to the kids and getting them involved in, 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 the, in the clubs that the police sponsored and so forth. That sort of backed them away also. That's good. But yeah, you, you, you give your time out there, eventually you're going to meet those folks. I can only imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you're out in the suburbs. You're out working with inner city youth. You're working with kids. Oh, no, man. We're in the Bronx, man. There's no suburbs. Yep. <laughs> there are no suburbs in the Bronx. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, you're working with inner city kids. You're working with kids exactly. that have seen things. Exactly. Like, so, you know, you can't, you can't be a cookie cutter, like, to anybody out there. Because, one, like... If you um if you lose respect to the kids, then it's uh, it's all for naught. Oh no, it's over. It's over. You lose respect to the kids, it's over. You have no shot. None. You know, it, it, it's interesting because a lot of the things we used to travel. So the younger teams used to go down to Florida. The older teams traveled. Uh, we wound up playing high school level ball with some of the teams we had. So. We we played prep schools. We we've gone to Pennsylvania. We've gone up to Maine. We've gone to New Hampshire. We've gone down to Delaware. We played uh, in Maryland. Matter of fact, one of the teams we played was the school of the Guests. 
Um, so it, it's really been interesting taking kids out of the natural element, guys that are, you know, kings of the block, so to speak. But, man, when you put them in the middle of a cornfield in, in, uh, in Pennsylvania at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, saying, okay, is you a good fan? Man, then you, then you know what somebody's about. <laughs> True. <laughs> and you learn what somebody's about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and there, I, there's a story I could tell as a team. I could give this name because um, I'll never forget it. There's, there's a, a place called Cumberland in New Jersey. We played spring ball, and people thought I was crazy back in 2007, 2008, to do spring, nobody was doing spring football back then. And we started practicing in February on a high school field in 20-degree weather. I had 60 kids on the field because they all wanted to play. Wow. On, a, on a weeknight, the school night. The first night we were out there, the kid breaks his leg. You know, that was unfortunate. He couldn't play anymore. But the next night, we had 65 kids on the field. So I know this is something that kids wanted to do. Um, we wound up playing for a national championship, a national spring championship against a team that had future NFL stars on. Wow. Nobody knew that, of course, back then. But the first – now, we played and beat everybody else. We beat a team from upstate New York. We beat teams from New Jersey. Um we beat teams from uh, uh, Southern Jersey that came up to play. I think there was a team from Philly that came up. We beat them. But this one team from Cumberland, we went down there to play, and we got whipped 44 nothing. So, yeah. So, okay, you know, you, you take your lumps. We go back. We play the rest of the season. We get into the playoffs. We don't, we, that other team is beating everybody, too. The same weekend, they win and we win. And we realized because they had the better record for the championship, we had to go back to Cumberland. That wow. was only maybe three weeks, only three weeks. So we go back to Cumberland. We get off the bus. Now, if you can imagine, this is a field. It's a makeshift field. It's basically made out of hay. We have hay and dirt. Oh, and they right. it. And, and that team was a mixture of several area high school teams, all their best players. Now, we didn't have that. We just had a group of kids that wanted to play and were hungry. But we, we lost that game 44 to 6. Okay? So, y'all only now, scored once the second time. The second time. Wow. Okay? But wait a minute. This is not the end of the story. On our way back, I get a phone call from the commissioner of the league. He asked me, did we see any, any equipment because they have equipment that they can't find? I'm saying, no, there's no equipment on the bus. That's not ours. Mm. Someone taps me on the shoulder and says, coach, you need to take a look at something. And I go to the back of the bus and I uncover one of the coolers that we have. Mm. And when you know it, there are four helmets in the cooler. Ooh. We start opening bags, we find more helmets, shoulder pads. I called them back. I said, listen, we have your stuff. Uh, they immediately wanted to come up and arrest everybody. They wanted, you know, 
they want to arrest everybody. They want to they want to throw everybody under the jail. And I said, no, 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 let us handle it. So I called the organizer of our program. I said, listen, do me a favor. Have the police where where we're getting off. We're going to search every band, and no one is getting off this bus. So that's exactly what we did. We found 13 helmets and 13 pairs of shoulder pads. Now, now, these are kids from the Bronx, didn't know how to respond to losing like that. So that's what they did. They felt that they needed to take take it back in some other way. To them, that was winning. And that was a hard lesson to teach them. We made them do community service as many, as, and as many push-ups and sit-ups and grinds that I can get out of them the rest of that year. And But we had to make them understand that you can't do things like that. So what I did is I wound up gathering all the equipment. I took it to the police station. The police discounted it. They held it for a week, and I wound up taking it back down to South Jersey alone. And there were many parents that wanted to go with me, I said, no, I'm going to face this alone. Whatever they want to do, we'll work it out. You know, once I got it back down to the commissioner and, and the gentleman that ran their program, we shook hands and listen, here's your gear. I apologize. You know, and I was sincere about it. It's really, this is something that we'll, we'll deal with here. But unfortunately, you're living in, we're living in a time back then and now that kids don't know how to express themselves otherwise. So when they don't win, they're going to look for something else as an escape. True. And that's what has to be taught. You can't win like that. You can't win a life like that. Wow. I, I'm i going to say this, like, that right there, that's some wisdom right there. And plus, that shows that you obviously care about these kids because you show them tough love when they do wrong. You show them what they did wrong, and you teach them a lesson through their wrongs. Yeah. Because, they have to. Yeah, because, like, if they did this in regular life, they would end up in jail. they end up in juvie. they can end up getting yeah. caught up in something and get themselves killed or something. Like, that's... Well, you know, I'm not going to say anyone from that team, they were all angels. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, there's one or two from that particular year that did wind up in jail. And it's unfortunate, you know? That, um, that is unfortunate. You know, tried to keep them out. You know, they they wound up in jail, and I think one is still in jail if if not released recently. And he's a grown man now; he's got to be in his thirties. You um, know, so they went on to do other things. What could I say? You can't save everybody. No, but you at least you try to save one or two. Hey, and maybe with that, you instill that um, in the kids that are still like out here doing something in their lives. Mm-hmm. Then they're gonna remember what you taught them. Like, yeah. So obviously you did something that was a um, good cause and effect, if I say so myself. So, hey, to the kids that may have been, you know, taken on the other side, who knows? Maybe, you know, they find their way out. They find something more positive from. I mean from the trials they've had to face from wrong decisions because everybody deserves a second chance. I believe in that. Sometimes you got to take both. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it's broke. And then on top of that, 
some people, the best way they learn lessons is they fall. And then they can just get back up and try again. That's it. Man. That's it. You know what? Coach Ray, you are epic. <laughs> I just want to say that. <laughs> Thank you. Like, I, I only do as much as my team allows me to do, man. I had some good people with me at that time. And, and even now, um, you know, in, in the in the business end of it, I've got a good team around me. So we're we're really trying to build and, and do some good things in the community. Well, I like I like what you're doing and I'm glad there's people like you out here doing what you're doing. So I mean, I like like we can talk youth football all day, especially when it comes to the positivity you're trying to bring to these kids' life. So yeah. I feel like you're an unsung hero for that one, my man. Seriously. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It's just that you can't do youth football for the rest of your life. I know. <laughs> you know at, at some point, you, you got to leave it alone. Truth. Very true. You can only do it for so long. I mean, I mean that job is – I think that job is pretty much 24-7, if I say so. Well, I used to say that I, I lived more on the field than in my own living room, which was true, to be honest with you. <laughs> I spend more hours on the field than I would spend in my living room. Because sometimes, you know, on the weekends, I'd get up at 5 in the morning, be at the field by 6, 6.30. I don't come home until maybe 11.30, 12 o'clock that night. Wow. And then if we have another game that day, I'm back up at 5.30 in the morning, you know, to, to play the next set of games. That's what it used to be like. So, I mean, hey, you put in some dedication. I respect the dedication. I respect the ambition. And, I mean, good grief. Like, I didn't know how this interview was going to go. I knew I wanted to speak <laughs> with you. I want to be honest. And, I'm, I'm like, I'm a little nervous because I didn't know, like, like how you would um like react to um, the conversation with me and I I feel like you've given nothing but gems and thank you. Hey well thank you. I appreciate the time and effort, man. I really do. Well, I appreciate you. So with that, where can people find you at, Coach Ray? Um what's your social media, social handles, any projects you're working on, charity, whatever you got going on, please feel free to plug it. All right, well, I do a podcast called Coach Ray Speaks, and we speak about entrepreneurship and business. Um, I also speak around the country. I have five signature programs that I speak about around the country concerning, um, concerning customer service and, and leadership. So you can, you can reach me at Coach Ray at CoachRaySpeaks.com. Uh, that's my Facebook, actually, Coach Ray Speaks, and that's my Twitter, Coach Ray Speaks. And I will put that um, in the description below. You definitely should um, check out some of the things he's doing. Check out his podcast. Um, seriously, like this conversation right here, he can probably enlighten you on a lot more than what he's just shared in the last almost hour. Like, that serious. Have we been talking for an hour? Wow, I didn't realize we were talking Yeah, we're, we're almost at an hour, man. Like, we're at 48 minutes. Like, we're like 12 minutes shy of an hour. Like, that's how fast, like, that's how much this conversation, this was a good conversation, man. <laughs> that's good. That's good. 
I, I got more for you too anytime. <laughs> oh, you are more than welcome, man. Come back. I appreciate that. Please come back. And so, and with that, this has been another Delivery Bros episode. My name is Anthony Anthem, aka Black Fabio, aka Deion Sanders counterpart. If um, Deion Sanders ate more pizza, aka um, the greatness. No, I'm just kidding. With that, we're done. <laughs>